We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And last night, Lakers won a fun preseason game in Vegas, 129-126 to 126 over the Brooklyn Nets in a game where we got a bit of a surprise in the starting lineup, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But the, we ended up hitting 23s in that game. We took 55 of them. But the first half, especially, I thought was a bit of a dress rehearsal. Only Jared Vanderbilt was the only player who did not play who I assumed to be in the Lakers rotation. And you could see it. You can see kind of the shell of what the Lakers are going to be this year. And it was very exciting, man. 75 first half points. Um, certainly some questions, but I really, really like the foundation. They looked good. And I think that. Even without Vando, we saw, like you alluded to, the shape of a team that could play a variety of different ways. I was um, very interested in Darwin's substitution pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, It really did resemble a regular season game. The announcers even alluded to it, like LeBron went out at the six-minute mark, which is kind of standard for him. During his Laker tenure, basically going back to the championship season, him going out early and then coming back either at the quarter break or to wrap around the quarter break has been a foundation of LeBron sort of minutes load. And that happened. They played two big lineups. AD played with both Wood and Hayes Mm -hmm. on separate different occasions. The whole second half was basically Wood and Hayes playing together, which like who knows how much we will see that, but that was an interesting development as well. Um, Darwin could have easily gone to like a couple of the young guys and let them play there instead of stacking two bigs. But there was just a lot to unpack, a lot of takeaways. The guards, I thought, let's start there. D'Lo's been on one. D'Lo, man. Yep. To start the preseason, his first two games, he has brought out the cannon and he has been shooting the three ball well. And Brooklyn's coverages, they were not like very sophisticated at all. Like, it's a preseason fact, game, it, right? And the level of intensity is not super high at this point, but 
Yes, but even within the context of that, like, so they were going under a lot of screens, even a Uh lot of ball screens. The Lakers were also running a lot of staggers, which kind of force you to go under Mm -hmm. a lot of times, like, especially the second screen. You can go under the first screen, but once that second screen comes when you're running double drags, it's like, well, you're trying to to protect against something. And a lot of times guys are trying to turn the corner off of that second screen, Mm -hmm. which is why you set a second screen anyway. And the Lakers guards were just like, oh, you're going under? Well, I'm stepping back and I'm shooting this three. And that shot was open and both D'Lo and Austin killed the Nets on that exact shot. And just the level of shot making and shot creation from from the guards like the initial push like that stood out to me a fair amount good to get austin back too yeah let, let's start with those guards that in i think it represents sort of an alleviation of the pressure that's been on the paint uh and on driving lanes around lebron and ad the last few years is that like going under screens is a fairly Unco- I don't want to say it's uncommon, like it doesn't happen to other teams, but I would venture a guess. Tell me if you disagree on this, D, that the Lakers were like top three over the last two, three seasons in the NBA in terms of the frequency with which other teams would choose to go under the screen on us. Would you agree with that? Yeah, they're 90th percentile, I would at, say. At the like, very in terms least. Of and like- if they were one, I would not be surprised at all, right? And so in most circumstances that's like even down to the high school level that's sort of uh, a death sentence for the defense right there's a reason why it's infrequent because you're giving a clean look to a good shooter who's a guard a ball handler who's been pulling up and it's one thing to be pulling up off of a ball screen where you've got somebody putting great back pressure on you from behind you've got a big that's sort of hedging on you and sort of not but if that guard just going under the screen and you don't feel a body at all, these are practice threes to a great yep. extent. And you're going to get a really high points per possession if you have the guards that can make those shots. Now, part of what was so odd about our roster the last couple of years, and this goes beyond just Russ. I, I, like he gets no, the lion's this share. Goes, of, this goes back to right. LeBron's first season with the team. They were going under screens on Lonzo. All the time. They were, like, yes. Look at the guards the Lakers have had. Lonzo, Rondo, exactly. LeBron. Right. Russ, Dennis, on down the line. It's just like none of these guys, even Caruso, like none of these guys are like, oh, go ahead. Take the jumper. Take it. And that's unusual in the NBA. We've been very unusual in that respect. And so what this is, is like, (laughs) like, I'm super curious to see our matchup against the Clippers this year because the Clippers have beaten us, what, like 14 times or something ridiculous, right? A hundred straight times in a row, like in the regular season. That's right. It's been a while. And and it's been during the LeBron era. And if you watch those games, pretty much every single one of those games were were like the guy guarding LeBron at the top. They're going to switch everything and they're pretty big, so they can, they can do that. And then it's it's almost like a box in one. Like basically they're standing in the four corners of the paint, the other four defenders, and yes. like daring you to shoot. And these aren't like drive and kick threes. These are just swing the ball around the perimeter threes without touching the paint. Shell drill right? threes. Yes. Shell drill threes that are <laughs> – these are not as high percentage shots as the ones that come out of the rhythm of a drive and kick. And so and that's basically the, the big plan against the Lakers and has been defensively for several years now is just like pack the paint – Go ahead and make make a jumper, you know, and that's, again, very unusual around the NBA. And so <laughs> guys like D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, and even Gabe Vincent, who's not shot the ball particularly well, but one of them, at the very least, was against these unders that you were just talking about. 
this brings a level of conventionality to our offense. Not not in terms of like four out, five out type of stuff, but how do defenses guard us? They actually have a legit choice to make now, whereas in the past it was a very, very simple decision. Well, if you decide to go under against D'Angelo Russell or Austin Reeves, this is what's going to happen. And uh, at least on a regular enough basis to where you're not going to decide to do that. And so I think that's got great implications for where this season can go. No, definitely. And I'm interested to see what it takes for the calculus to change on a LeBron and AD led led team. And this is this is the root of of it all. Right. Like Darwin got asked post game about the volume of threes. LeBron got asked post game about the volume of threes and both of them pivoted away from the idea that we want to shoot this many threes and we still want to be a team that touches the paint. And even LeBron was just like, look, just like you, he talked about like, look, preseason game, the coverages were the coverages. Not a lot of teams are going to play us this exact way very often. These were the shots that were there. It was great to see us knock them down. But there's going to be games where you miss three or four of those in in a row and your mindset better be Let's get back mm-hmm. to the paint. And Darwin was basically saying the same thing in his own way. And so I was I was happy to see the Lakers skill guards show their skill. I'm also excited by the idea that some of the threes that the Lakers were created were based off the idea that Brooklyn was still trying to jam up the paint against LeBron and AD. He had mm-hmm. a two dribble like, oh, lane's full and just kick out to Torian Prince for an open three. They're pinching from the elbow, right? And they're showing elbow help off of Prince. And Prince is just like, there's a reason why Prince was saying at a media day, like, I'm going to shoot 40% on this team. Like Like that shot is what he does. And then he had another play where he hit a little floater out of attacking the closeout. Like Torian Prince is a professional off-ball player, really on both sides of the ball. And so I... Let's take an early break here. When we come back, let's talk about the new surprise starter. Yes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. They say you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Torian Prince tested that. <laughs> yes, yes, right? he did. <laughs> because his first impression as, as a Laker, he fouled out in 13 minutes of play. It felt like he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Every single defensive possession against the Warriors. Um, never got into a rhythm offensively. And it was just like, wait, this is the dude that could threaten a starting spot or is like the next level up from all of the minimums that the team signed, which um, I don't want to say they're counting on them, but these are good flyers that they took on minimum guys. But Hayes was the next level up and he did not look the part on Saturday against the Warriors, but he certainly Mm -hmm. did look the part on Monday against the Nets. And so talk to me a little bit more about Torian Prince. So putting him in the starting lineup, Coaches are going to think about, we think about individual players and, oh, this guy's better than that guy, right? Or this guy provides this and that. And we had this long conversation over the summer about Rui and Vando for that perspective spot, right? But coaches think in terms of five-man groupings, right? And that's because that's how they can impact the game. And the decision that you make with that fifth player, particularly with this Lakers group, is really going to determine a lot of what the final product ends up being. And Prince being a professional off-ball player. Like he's really good at relocating. He's really good on these catch and shoot threes. He is good at attacking closeouts. That is going to manifest itself. Like those type of players are dependent upon the on-ball creation to be good. And so if it is good, they're going to really reward you for that. His debut on the offensive end, at the very least, the one bucket he got was actually a really well-executed delay set. It was a handoff with uh, with Wood and he flowed to the basket for the layup. That's how the sequence sequence works on this, right? So it was the one time like that group executed well. Well, LeBron, AD, D'Lo, and Austin Reeves are going to execute at a high level in terms of like what the plan is, like know what a good plan of attack is, know what the defense is doing, how they may adjust to it, and then deliver the ball to the correct place more often than the vast majority of teams in the league, right? Like you've got a ton of good decision-making in that respect. And so if your off-ball players are good at what they do, they're going to get the ball from that on-ball creator in ways that really make it work. And so when I saw the Torian Prince starting, uh, when I saw that he was starting, and we'll talk defense in a bit too, I was like, that actually makes a lot of sense. And I think that just kind of the natural chemistry that they had, that, that whole blink idea, Mm-hmm. I, it, it it looked good, right? It just looked like it flowed within the first five minutes. We had 20-something points like in the first five, six minutes. Prince is the type of guy that he fits in best when everyone around him is better than him. <laughs> and if he has to play with guys where it's just like, oh, I'm just as good or better than you, well, then the asks on him start to go up in ways where you're going to have diminishing returns, right? And so you want to make Torian Prince's job simple, offensively and this is about as simple as as it's going to get playing Mm -hmm. next to those four four players i would argue 
that getting LeBron and Austin back would have helped Prince regardless of which lineup, if he would have started or not. For sure. The fact that he played, like his debut came with both Austin and LeBron out. Right. That that speaks to the whole idea, D, of, of like going from the unit that he played with in that first game to the yep. unit that he played with. Like you couldn't have a bigger jump in terms of the guys around you and the decision making. Yeah. One of the things that like I had a boss once and she was um, a very experienced executive who had wore a bunch of different hats within our organization and was very important within the context of our department and very influential within the construct of our entire organization. And she had a lot of responsibility. And one of the things she used to tell me was, because she had a lot of direct reports and a lot of work flowed through her before it moved on to the next level, right? And so she used to tell me that your biggest priority is not always going to be my biggest priority. And so this will get, so you will get slotted appropriately. And so you may be waiting on something back from me, but that's because like, no offense, I'm more important than you. And so if someone else has something that is more important to me, I'm going to work on that first rather than work on you first. Like, right. And so you'll get your stuff mm-hmm. back when when you get it. And when our priorities align, you're going to be first in line for me. <laughs> right. Right. And I, and and this is something that's always stuck with me, like in my work life is like the priorities that that are mine. I'm going to manage those first. Prince is the type of dude where the way he fits into the, these lineups, Prince is not my first priority. But if you're trying to maximize Prince, this is the way that you do it. You put mm-hmm. him in a lineup with with two or three really good like offensive fulcrums or shot creators, guys mm-hmm. who can. And then in Austin, like a guy who is sort of that, but also a super good connecting player and is going to make make the mm-hmm. right reads. And it's just like that's how you're going to get the best out of Torian Prince. That's not necessarily how you get the best out of like. Jared Vanderbilt, for example, That's right. because Vanderbilt is not the same type of player as Tor as Torian Prince. To me, Vanderbilt is a player who helps the starting group in a totally different way than mm-hmm. Torian Prince is going to help the starting group. And it was interesting to see Prince thrive in that role, while similarly thinking that I thought Vando had a pretty good game. On Saturday against too. the Warriors, like he he worked out on the glass. He helped uh, facilitate like early offense op- opportunities as as a grab and go player. He got to the offensive glass some. He was good defensively. He was like just he just did a lot of stuff. And this is where I started to think like, oh, Prince could totally do this this job too. To me, it was also an indicator that like Rui is looking more and more like a sixth man because mm-hmm. like two games in a like it seems pretty clear Rui started for LeBron in uh-huh. in that opening game and now he could have had a chance to start next to LeBron and he didn't. That's right. They started That's Prince right. instead, and, and so I don't know if go in whatever direction you want there, but it's just like I feel like we could transition away. from from Prince and maybe into some other things that oh, you might have liked. No, for sure. It's I, I think, though, what's happening is that you see sort of the first ideas that Darwin had in mind for this team. And I think Prince slots Vando in the right spot, in my opinion, right? In that 
I, I've, I totally understand your argument about like starting the game with a point of attack defender like him. And that is something that is not an uncommon point of view in the NBA either. It's like I remember having conversations a year ago about that was part of the reason why you start Pat Bev is that you want to start out the game with a certain defensive attitude, right? And a certain uh, physicality. It's important to do that. With Vando though, Vando is a bit of a helter skelter kind of player. Like sure. that's where he's at his best. And to me, the wraparound, that's the part of the game where the game is most like that, where you get the most opportunities to kind of flex that ability. And I also think that that unit has the danger of being small, like as fun as the starters were and like the main guys were last night. It was another game where I was left thinking like, if AD misses some time, we're going to be a totally different team. But with respect to Vando, that unit, I think, is going to be a little bit smaller. And I think they need what Vando does more than the starters do because – and we'll get more into like the how of this. If you have Anthony Davis on the court, you have a level of rim protection where you're – if you're going to get beat, it's going to be by jump shots. And we've got a lot of smart – Tall guys that, you know, with good length in terms of D'Lo, Austin, and Prince on the perimeter. Like, I think the whole idea is like, let them shoot jump shots, get a hand up, and they're not going to beat us like that compared to what we can do on offense. No, sure. I also thought that Mikel Bridges is a level below. If there's a line of demarcation of guys where I feel comfortable saying, oh, you could put Prince on this guy instead of Vando. Sure. Mikel Bridges is probably at the level where you feel more comfortable with Prince. He's a good player, though. He might make an all-star team, you know? And so if we can get that level of defense, I don't know. That's... He is. He's also not Brandon Ingram. He's not running a ton of like he will run some ball screens, but that's not it. He will come off of screens. But that like he is more of a multi-use player who has expanded into a 25 usage role rather than like, oh, I'm a 30 usage guy. Yeah. Coming, no, you're right me. about this. It's those big ball handlers, right? Those guys with size, you know, 6'8 to 6'10 that actually run their offense. Or even strength, right? Like sure. one of the ways that Prince got in trouble against the Warriors was just like, mm-hmm. oh, guys were just sort of like knocking him off balance. And it's just like, oh, that's a foul. That's a foul, right? And, and so I'm still not off of the idea that like Vando's the best solution for a lot of these dudes. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean he's the only solution. Right. And so it's not like I can't I can't be convinced otherwise. It's just an interesting scenario where I'm still not yet over the idea. This is like on some of these nights, you're just going to want Vando out there against these guys from the beginning of the game. And, and because that's the part of the game where they're going to play the most. It's just like. You're most important here. But we've had this conversation we a have. bunch. Yes. So why don't we go to break here again? And then I want to hit a couple of ideas of one of the more surprising and like guy who's kind of growing on me a little bit. For Jackson Hayes, he had a second straight good game. He hasn't missed a shot. The preseason. Oh, has he not? I nice. think he went two for two in the Warriors game, and I think he went four for four against the Nets. It's not the finishing, though, that is, like, the most impressive thing. He's mostly getting dunks or, like, layups. Um, It's the little things that he's doing within the context of his role. He is not playing outside of himself at all on either side side of the ball. Mm -hmm. But he, he, the thing that's standing out to me is his passing, and his ability to make the read after making a catch 
that is like, oh, you know that the ball's supposed to go corner here. Yep. You know that the ball is supposed to get shot here, or you know that your best idea is to hold it and then maybe pivot and then kick the ball back out because you've got nothing, right? Or I've got a free lane to the basket, I'm gonna score, or I've got to like do a reverse little backhand layup here because I've got the ball and I'm in the paint and this is where my momentum is taking me. He just seems to be making, offensively at least, the right decision more mm. often than not, and not just like more often than not, like 60% of the time. It's like in the 80 to 90% of yeah. the time, he's like doing the right thing. And so talk to me a little bit about Jackson Hayes. He was a guy that I thought that was going to be outside of the rotation, potentially to start the season, but he is playing his way into it, which might complicate some other things, but I've really liked what Hayes has done so far. I've been super impressed by his understanding of the game. And you're speaking to that, um, that in a five out type of set. And uh, I'm going to try to get something posted on, on the main, uh, on the YouTube channel. Um, Mike had asked Darwin before the game about, like the transition from the four out to five out. And he gave this, this great answer of which part of it was AD is often going to be the trailer guy. And so he's going to be the last guy up the court and he can either step into a semi, semi transition three, right? And those are the two shots that he hit against Golden State, or he can init start initiating the offense, right? It just flows naturally right into the, the next thing that he can do. And so anyway, with Hayes, his understanding of being an off ball player and his first instinct being to move the ball to the next station and to keep that like whole sequence going at a high rate of speed. Like when yeah. the Warriors are cooking, this is how they play. Like everybody talks about their shooting. And of course, that is the the primary threat, you know, is, is the gravity out there. But it's really their read and react ability. And it's this very fast decision making game that gets played in every basketball game. And that's what to me is makes NBA players so freaking cool is that they can read this so quickly. And Hayes doing that from the five spot, it's kind of an unusual talent for an athletic guy to have, right? This is, there's a lot of like kind of brainy guys that had to figure out, okay, I'm not the best athlete, but I get, so I got to learn the game. Draymond Green is a great example of this, right? Yeah. Um, but being able to facilitate ball movement while also then being able to roll to the basket and then be a threat 11 feet above the, the ground, like, I don't know, man, I think that we might have something here. Well, it's like one of this is just about reps and like what is your job and mm -hmm. and how many times have you had to do the thing that you're asked to do, mm -hmm. right? It's like we talked about JHS, for example, in the Warriors game and how he was missing some of the pick and pop reads. And that's because he likely hasn't played with a pick and pop player yeah. very often in his young career, right? Both in high school and then his one year at Indiana. But Hayes... Hayes has been a pick and roll big man for how long do you think now, right? He yeah, did it, it's been like his he did job. it in college. Yeah. It's been yeah. his job in the pros. And a lot of teams now are running a lot of these delay actions. They're running, they're playing through the top of the key a little the bit more. The two NBA more. finalists, Denver and Miami do this. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's not an uncommon part of NBA offenses, especially now with the shift to pick and roll basketball being so prevalent across the league, right? And the different ways you get into pick and rolls isn't always just like the four out one in system where the big is running right. back and forth between the three point line and like the lane line and the dunker spot in order to come, come and set screens. Pick and rolls are facilitated through DHOs and, and 
dribble pitches, right? Or like, oh, I'm going to kick to the wing, playing through, through, through the top, ball goes, ball reversal, plays through, through the big, big swings to another side and then runs and goes and sets a ball screen like on that side, side of the floor. It's just a bunch of different ways now in, in order to facilitate the, this action. And Hayes clearly looks comfortable doing this exact thing, right? And, and so if the asks are similar to things that he's been doing his his whole life and he's mainly been a pick and roll dive player then he's also going to understand that tag principles right and so i'll go back to jhs as a decision maker out of ball screens i mentioned a couple of pods ago that he is very comfortable making the skip pass and reading where the help is coming from to, on the tag because yep. he has played against that coverage yep. a ton. He recognizes when you play pick and roll basketball and your big dives every single, single time, then as the guard, you should know what your reads are. Oh, they went mm-hmm. under. It's the step back. Oh, he's he's trailing over the top. And the tag and they're no roller behind. Well, then my read is to pull up jumper. Oh, they're tagging from they're like they're tagging from the dunker spot. Oh, I'm throwing the skip to, to the because corner. he's done it over and over and over again. All those scenarios that you're talking about. That's, All those you've seen those that's plays right. over and over and over again. And so get so getting back to Hayes, if he sees that he knows what his job is on every single one of those coverages mm. is too. And so if the tag is coming from the low man, then guess what? If he impedes him and he makes the catch, then the pass is to same side corner. If it's like- That was the there, video three. Yep. Yeah. There, there, there's all of these reads that he's been asked, asked to make. And so it's muscle memory for, for him yeah. too. And so the ask that's being made of him is not outside- of any of the asks that he's had to this stage of his career. And to me, it's one of the reasons why he looks as good as he does doing it. But I am still like a bit impressed because I did not see him doing all of this because it wasn't necessarily his job. He was a backup to Valanchunas. And then even when he was playing, it might be with a second big on the floor and all of this other stuff, a second big too, that's like not Anthony Davis. Right. That's right. And, and, perhaps not much of a jump shooter either, right? Like if Hayes and Larry Nance Jr., who we love, right? But if those two are on the floor, you, there's not a ton of perimeter gravity there, right? Yeah. If it's him and Zion, right? And him and Valanchunas, who can shoot it a little bit, right? But if you open up a floor for a guy like this, like that's why I'm saying like with Hayes, we might have something here. On the other side of the floor, though, I think it's important. He's going to be an important part of our defense. And we'll see, we'll see what role he earns, right? But I guess the most, the idealized version of him is going to be an important part of our defense. And he has a bit of, you know how Wenyon would draw fouls, like, because he's a little too eager, a little too reaching in, or, and Wenyon did this less, but this is, this is something that Hayes does, is he'll be like turned in ways where if the offensive player initiates contact, like the foul is going to be called on you every time. If you get, even if the offensive player like is the one who initiates it, you're going to get whistled for it because you're out of legal guarding position. And so he makes a lot of those types of mistakes that to me, like the higher up you get in the playoffs, the more costly that that is and the more that gets exploited. So anyhow, I, I know we're talking like Hayes was probably wasn't in our rotation a week ago. And now we're like, can he play in the Western Conference Finals? Right. But yeah, I, I, sure. I, but I do think that those those minutes without AD and if AD does get hurt, he's like the really the one guy that has some of it. You know what I mean? Like has that you can kind of keep the structure together, even if he's not as good. 
100%. And like we've ran long on on Hayes here, but but I just thought that he had an interesting night. And defensively, I think he he has some tools and he shows some things that he can do, like do well. Um, and there's some things that he's not going to be able to do as well. And that's what you get when you sign a guy for the minimum, right? A guy who doesn't make the minimum, Pete, and is a guy who made his preseason debut last game. And we do this a lot here at the Laker Film Room podcast where... Oh, there's this guy named LeBron James. <laughs> Forgot about him. Hey, and look, and, our job our job is to to <laughs> help take care of all the other stuff, man. LeBron's uh yeah, LeBron's got it handled. Well, he's a known quantity. That's right. But this is the first preseason action that mm-hmm. he's gotten. And so you talk about blink, right? And that initial first thought. What was your first thought of LeBron James game action this exhibition season? So I know this is partially me seeing what I want to see, but he posted up at least three times. I haven't done the rewatch yet, but it was like three or four times in the post. We can improve like the actions we run off of that, like a lot of the split cut stuff that the Warriors do with Draymond. LeBron can be that same type of guy, but also with the scoring threat as well. And so like seeing that he hit a little, you know, step back, that's just kind of uh, what I've been hoping for for a minute. Um, And so I was really excited about that. I didn't see a ton of like on-ball shot creation from him. He was primarily an off-ball player throughout the game or throughout his stint. And so that really stood out to me. And so, again, seeing things that I want to see, but um, I, I I was really heartened by both how he looked and also kind of how he was being deployed. Yeah, I'll go back to the how, how he looked part. The last images we have of LeBron, he looks healthier now than he did, obviously, when he closed the season. I think that mm-hmm. part of our last impression of LeBron, we do not quite factor in the fact that he wasn't 100% physically. And looking back, he might have been closer to 80 or mm-hmm. 85%. Whereas in a normal LeBron season, the buildup is, is going to get you closer to the playoffs where he might be like, Everyone is banged up, but like in the 90 to 95 percent range where he is really gearing up and ready for the postseason. And that was just not the case last year. So I was heartened by the fact that he was just moving around well, that he seemed to have his legs underneath him, um, that he was appropriately explosive in like short area movements and that he was just able to do a lot of the things that you would want him to do offensively to to your point about him posting up and the way that he was being deployed i agree that um it was nice to see him in the post a little bit more he he did have some on ball creation he did take or commandeer a few offensive possessions as sort of like this lead guard i remember a possession where he was on the court with delo And um, he tried to organize the offense in a way where he called Rui in in to a ball screen and then he tried to throw a little slip pass to Rui on on a dive that that ended up being a turnover. Um, But he also had that great Rui play where he read the action and Rui had that sideline cut for for the lob and uh, LeBron hit him for a dunk. And and so all of that was it was just good to see LeBron looking healthy, I thought. 
man, hundred percent. And the on-ball stuff with LeBron is always going to be there, right? So that's something that it's like you said, it's more of a mix rather than you know an either-or type of thing. That that I think is indicative of the overall potential of the team of like, you can do a bunch of different stuff with this type of talent and, uh, and skill level and seeing them starting to leverage that, like, it's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. And again, preseason, low intensity, but the offense really looked tremendous. And LeBron was part of that. And he will always be at the center of, of the offensive end in particular. 100%. And Anthony Davis, man, he is just, (laughs) A fantastic basketball player. Three yeah. blocks, shot the three again with with confidence. That corner three that he that he hit wasn't this wide open. Like he was open, but the mm-hmm. defender closed on him pretty quickly, and he got into his shot motion mm-hmm. very quickly to bury that three. And just his general defensive activity and the shots that he is taking off of the glass. Um. And a lot of the grab and go stuff that all of the players are doing, but AD especially, I mm-hmm. just think that it's leading into the Lakers getting into their actions quicker. And yeah. he's uh, he's at the center of all of this, Pete, like both literally and figuratively. Right. And, and, and so I just love the way that he's looked through these two games. Just really, he's, you know, at, at the nexus of it all and the like the skill facilitating the skill in others, I think is something that is kind of a dynamic going on here is as guys, you know, relocate and the ball whips around and this is going to take a little bit of time, right? And some guys are further ahead in terms of the ball movement and what, and all that, that like facilitates kind of the inner hooper in a lot of guys. And there's nobody that's more devastating in that respect than Anthony Davis, because he's the tallest, most, most like athletically gifted from in terms of like measurables, length plus strength, plus skill in the entire league. And so when he's really in that bag and he's got big guys in space, like they, they've got no chance to guard him. If he's in that very fluid style that he's in when he's really got it going, like, and seeing him in that again, man, like that is that just that alone D is uh, you got to bump up the Lakers win total, whatever you expect. If he's that guy and can stay healthy, like that's a devastating player. The mid-range jumper that he hit is just like, oh, if that's and I think it was Stu who said it, but he's like, if he's yeah. making that shot, he you got no like, chance. You've got no chance against this dude. And he's just dribbling in to that shot, little inside out, sidestep jumper. It's just like, oh, Anthony Davis, you are a marvel. And it's just like watching him protect the rim defensively and then spread out his game. Yeah. And watching his offensive game like reblossom like a perennial, right? It's yep. like in the spring. Here he is again, and his game seems to be in full bloom, and I'm enjoying watching this offensive expansion from him. Beautiful basketball player when he's got it going. All right, this was fun. Been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left, that next to the winner, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. 
a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you That's kidding it. me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.